Hello, this is Yara Stark, and welcome to another Entrepreneur's Journey interview. And today I'm very excited to have a special guest from uh, my hometown in Brisbane, uh, Stephen Baxter. Uh, this is going to be a little bit of a different call to perhaps what you might normally get from the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast, because Steve is an entrepreneur on a big scale. So we're not talking about your your niche websites, you know, selling a few ebooks. This is a bit bit of a bigger uh, sized companies, um, but we have a many stories to go through. So Steve, first, thank you for joining me today. Uh, no worries, Jerry. Thank you very much. So uh, first thing, I've got to find out, are you actually from Brisbane, originally born and raised? No, I'm actually uh, born in Cloncurry in northern Queensland, and uh, I was raised in uh, Emerald in the Bowen Basin and, and Rockhampton in central Queensland. So that makes you a country boy? Well, definitely makes me a Queenslander. <laughs> um, uh, I, I left Rockhampton when I was quite young. I actually joined the uh, I joined the armed services at age 15, a uh, regular soldier, uh, and served almost nine years, in uh, three years in Victoria, a couple of years in Brisbane, and then three odd years in um, uh, Adelaide. Okay, so just to put this in perspective, uh, you know, already that's a bit strange compared to what you are known for. Like, I mean, you're on this call because... Um, you know, you sold a, a, a ISP or a, a, a tech company here in Australia. You were in partnership with. Um, I, I've done a little bit of research on that. That was a three hundred seventy million dollars sale to another tech company, and you had an ISP before that. So, how did the army fit into this? Like, just didn't know what you wanted to do, or? Oh, um, probably as a kid, you know, uh, dreams of serving the country and all those sort of things, all those worldly visions you have when you're fourteen and fifteen years old. Um, that led me to uh, enlisting in the apprenticeship program in 1987, in January 1987. It's really curious when you, you have a 25th reunion. I had that just recently. That was a lot of fun. Um, you know you're old when you go to a 25th reunion <laughs> of, of anything. Yep. Um, especially when it's a bunch of army guys who still think they're 21. It was um, that was that was a great weekend up in Townsville. But um, so uh, I through the army I ended up in in Adelaide. I was working. So in the army, I was responsible for repairing of certain types of electronic equipment and, and pretty well anything in the army that wasn't radio or radar uh, was, was in, in the electronic sphere. So I did, uh, I did a lot of – we did a lot of optical equipment, night vision equipment, standard optical binoculars. Um, we did – I did uh, I did equipment courses for the uh, laser-guided missile, the RBS-70, the, the – Rapier air defense missile. Um, I did radiation protection courses for industrial radiation issues, for things like you know X-ray equipment. So it was a very, very wide, all-encompassing field. You must have been technical, then from the beginning, you had an interest in that sort of area. Yeah, I, I did. And, and when I was there, I, I started doing. So I didn't. I didn't. I left school uh, at grade eleven, so I didn't quite finish high school. Um, I did a couple of part-time years at university um, because I wanted to. You know, I felt obviously I, I didn't have a full education to say the least, um, and so I felt I was missing something there. And I, I got into computing, which was which was interesting. And, and then in 1993, I had this weird subject to do called Unix, and um, one of my instructors sent me uh, a couple of floppy disks of, of Linux, effectively, mm-hmm. um, and, and it didn't work. And I had to end up logging onto the Vax VMX. Vax VMS system, which is, and that's good. Ask me about the Vax VMS again later on because there's, <laughs> there's a fantastic end of that story okay. uh, as well. So, um, and downloading like a hundred and something floppy disks of, of the original SLS soft, soft landing system. 
It was a .99 kernel, and uh, after many weeks of frustration, I got that booted. Um, attached some, and as an experiment, I attached some dumb terminals to the serial ports and had a lot of fun with it. And then sort of realised that my God, if you if you actually went from dumb terminals to modems, then you, you know you can sort of be an ISP. And that grew into um, you know sort of taking a home loan deposit at the time, which was eleven thousand dollars, and uh, installing sixteen phone lines into a house we didn't own. It was actually an army married quarter, right? And um, and um, starting an ISP pretty well. Okay, yeah. so how old are you then? Oh, um, so it would have been, um, so it was in 1994. Um, so, 71, so what's that, 23, I suppose? Yeah, 23. Okay, so early 20s, you you, you borrowed $11,000 or you, you saved up $11,000? We, 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 we had saved $11,000 okay. as, as a home loan deposit. Right, yeah. and then you just basically to start an ISP back then, you, you had to put a bunch of phone lines into a, a property and I'm assuming set all the software up and away you go. Yeah, very much so. So, um, and that was, and I, I, I tell the story, the true story. And I, when I when I realised this a couple of years ago, it sort of staggered me a bit. But I, I'd only actually seen a web browser over someone's shoulder before executing this, and it was it was actually seeing that early version of it wasn't Netscape then, it was called um, Mosaic. And it was brought out by the National Centre for Super, NCSA Mosaic, and. Um, as actually seeing that and seeing that it was just when the CGI Common Gateway Interface specification was released, and I realised, oh, you can really interact with these computers over this, and that's when I knew the internet was going to be big. And um, the scariest moment was when I talked to my well, fiance at that time. We weren't married at that point, but we were engaged. And it's fully and talking to her about this crazy idea I had, and fully expecting her to say no, and then she said yes. Uh, that was a pretty scary moment. And I'm assuming the idea was to make a living off this ISP company you were going to start. Very much right. so. And, and how did that go? I, 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 this is a while ago now in terms of the, especially in internet years, um, to, to start an internet company and get customers using it. I'm thinking, oh, what, it was AOL was probably the biggest player coming up around that time. Uh, yeah, in, in Australia, it wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, Aussie Mail would have been the biggest player. Aussie Mail were the ones who eventually acquired us. Um, so I... You know, had that going in the suburban house. So I took a year off leave without pay in May 1995 and to fully work on the business because obviously I was still sort of serving. Mm-hmm. Um, and the business just went off. How spe- come? Spending time on that was just... Well, I'd managed to get out there and actually... Well, A, the internet was getting getting very popular as well or getting more popular on the adoption curve. Um, I managed to get out and my promotion strategy was basically dropping flyers into computer shops. <laughs> right, and that was it. And just getting around and, and, and talking to the computer store owners and, and giving them deals and signing them up for free and doing the promotion, and so being able to concentrate on that was 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 good. Wow, that's quite the the simple marketing strategy for nowadays. <laughs> it's it's, <laughs> it was, it's that's that's social media, nineteen ninety five. Exactly, it just shows how you know you get on a crest of a wave that's about to crash. How how I won't say easy. But I guess how fluid the process can be. You don't have to, you know, worry too much. People just are hungry for what you're providing, and you're in, at the right place at the right time. Yeah, look, I mean that 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 that's true. I mean, there, there were plenty of internet service providers who didn't last a month. However, didn't probably last six months or twelve months. So, so what made you different? Um, well, I always like to think I, I knew what it cost to provide a service, and I made sure I charged more. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, very common. I mean, you had people out there signing up almost Ponzi scheme internet services. Um, so you had uh, people out there, you know, sort of uh, 
providing it at, at a cost that we, we knew the cost to provide it. And when people sell it cheaper, you know they can't last long. Unfortunately, they have the, 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 the impact of distorting the market in the meantime. Mm. Um, so, but that, that we went through that. We ended up moving out of the house. Well, actually, when I discharged from the army, I had to move out of the house. And I thought, what am I going to do? I sort of didn't have the cash flow to be able to move the telephone lines that I had installed. And so, believe it or not, the house next door came up for sale. So, we actually bought that um, bought that house next door. And the only reason I bought that, if it was on the other side of the house, if it was on the, the left-hand side instead of the right-hand side of our house, I wouldn't have bought it because I couldn't have actually literally dug up the telephone lines and relocated them next door because it was closer to the exchange. And that's what I did. I actually physically relocated. And I was actually recovering from a knee reconstruction, a knee, a knee surgery at the time. And I actually got out there with a, with a, with a, with a, with a mattock, a pick, and I, I retrenched it and put it in. Wow. So um, put, we had three hours downtime from that exercise. That wasn't too bad at all. Wow. You, you talk about being hands-on. That, that's about as hands-on <laughs> as it gets. <laughs> but, it's, but it's cheap as it gets too, isn't it? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, there's the benefit of being hands-on. <laughs> So uh, I really love to get to the next business. So how did this one wind up in the sense that you did get acquired by Email, which um, back then was the largest ISP, which, yep. which back then would have been a Malcolm Turnbull company too, I believe. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, I, didn't, I didn't, didn't actually meet Malcolm at the time, but I met Sean Howard and uh, David Spence, um, but Malcolm was involved. Um, just, just, just for the people listening who are not familiar with Australian politics, that was a once leader of the opposition party here and, and a very well-known politician um, who is probably one of the most wealthy politicians from selling Oz email too, so... Um, obviously, that was a, a time of consolidation for ISPs, and you were one of them. Oh, it's been. A, I've heard the consolidation story of ISPs now for fifteen years, and it's still happening. So I, I, I don't believe consolidation stories. Okay. Um, so the um, so I took on a business partner in um, October or November, I think, of, of '95. We we moved into the. So Chris had 45%. I had 55%. And Chris, I'm still really good friends with Chris Foot. He's a lovely bloke down in South Australia. Um, we then moved into the city, so we actually relocated the business um, and and really attacked the consumer market and went gangbusters, just went went crazy. Um, we sold that in two tranches to Aussie Mail in 99 and 2000. Um, at the end of 2000, we relocated to Brisbane, which was always our desire. So there was five years there of really growing that business. Yes. Right. And, and how big did it get Like when, when you eventually sold it? How many employees? Um, We had about 65, I think it was about 58 or something FTEs, about about 68 or 65 Mm -hmm. altogether um, employees, uh, full-time equivalents FTEs. Mm -hmm. Um, So we had, when I left the business, we had 34,000 users. Um, uh, We were about the uh, seventh largest ISP in Australia at the time, and we only had a point of presence in in Adelaide. So... um, that was pretty cool. And how did that happen, Steve? Is this word of mouth? Because it can't be just flyers being dropped into computer shops. <laughs> no, well, so eventually we, 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 we graduated to having a, uh, a $500 ad in the Saturday's advertiser, the local newspaper in Adelaide, the computer section. Uh-huh. And that got us a little bit of business to start with. And, and it's, this is the weird effect of advertising. Right? And after a while, we realized that it wasn't really getting us bang for buck, that word of mouth was, was really what was doing it for us. So if I'd pull that ad out of that newspaper, I got so our business got so many phone calls about asking if, if we were about to go broke, because the 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 sort of timeline for ISPs then was they got some money from somewhere, they'd get out there with these unrealistic pricing plans, they'd put these big ads in the sad day advertising computer section, 
and you knew when they're going broke because the ads disappeared. Mm-hmm. So these people would ring up saying, "Oh my God, you're going broke!" You know, no, we're not. So we kept the ad in just to just to keep our customers happy. Wow. It, it, it got us very little very little work, but word of mouth. So. Uh, uh, customer support, customer support, customer support. We we had a, a simple philosophy. When the customer rang up, we should actually know what services they've purchased from us. Nothing more frustrates me when you ring up a service organisation and you have to tell the person on the, on the other end of the phone what you're buying from them so they can start to help you. So we put systems in place that allowed our, custom, our, our staff to take control of the, the conversation with the customer in a very positive, forward way. Um, our tech support staff were instructed that if to make to keep our customers happy, that if they had to ring up and they're having problems with Microsoft Word, you fix their Microsoft Word. If, if they want to be sung a lullaby before they go to bed, you sing a lullaby. <laughs> and it was all word of mouth, every last bit of it. Right. Well, yeah. uh, I shouldn't say the other things as well. Having extremely robust systems, so going from analog modems to digital modems was was huge. We actually managed to, we we went from a very unreliable technology to a, to quite a reliable technology. You know, to like a seven percent connection failure to like a one percent connection failure. So what that does for your perception of of of, of, of quality is, is massive. But there was a big investment too. Mm, I mean, there's some great lessons right there, isn't it? A quality product and quality customer service is almost all the marketing you need. Uh, thanks to word of mouth so that that's fantastic now i'd love to talk more about this steve but you have a deadline to to get to so let's move forward um you sold to aussie mail can you tell us how that went down um yeah look uh i was positively terrified by telstra um so uh they'd launched big pond well the initial telstra service was called on australia it was partnered with microsoft um and they came out with big pond and they were doing a lot of advertising. Um, and Telstra would, would, and I honestly feared that if I ever got their mix right, they would crush us overnight. Um, they had done several things by mistake, honest, honest accidents with respect to technical configurations and, and various bits and pieces that, that really were, were almost devastating to us. So at one stage, they, 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 they misconfigured the equipment in our, in our premises. So pretty well, no one, you know, you, you can barely connect. And if, you, if, you, if you're on a 36K motor, you might have only got like a 21 or a 17K connect, which people really looked at in those days because, you know, it was, you're only getting half speed all of a sudden and mm. you really noticed it. Mm. And we had no control over that and it probably took 12 to six weeks to fix. And that was, and you saw, you saw sign-ups dropping off, you saw people not dialing in and that was, that was a hell of a worry. And I thought, and that was, you know, I got a settlement over that one too, to be honest, because that, that was a shocker. But right. um, I Just, thought if, 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 if they really wanted to turn me off, they could. So um, we should point out to overseas listeners, Telstra is the, the largest telco in Australia, and they, they own the, the hardware here, the infrastructure, yeah. and that's why you were so susceptible to them because they own the, the wiring. Oh, very much so. Yeah. I mean, I know better. Telstra never did that. They, they never, we do have a very strong competition regulator here, um, so that never really came. Uh, Telstra never made it easy for people. They, they never deliberately hunted them down like I feared that they may one day. Um, I think when Salt Trujillo came in back in 05, that, that, that may have changed a bit. And they, they, got, they got a lot more vicious. Um, so the apocalypse that I foresaw never happened. But we, we took money off the table in 99 and 2000, which wasn't a bad time to do it, considering what happened a year later. Mm-hmm. Okay, so did you just go looking for a buyer, or did they come to you? Oh, we had a few come to us. I went on one uh, trip to the to the US. That's the first time I went, and I've been going ever since. I, I quite enjoy getting over to Silicon Valley. That I feel, sort of fell in love with that area of the world in that first trip. Um, we spoke to a few crazy Yanks over there. Um, they really they really don't understand things they can't drive to. So um, <laughs> that was a bit that was a bit tough. You know, it was it was a realization I was going over to um, 
with 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 that as a, as a goal in mind that uh, to got some of our competitors talking to us and um in 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 respect to acquisition and did it go smoothly did someone knock on your door and say i want to give you this much money and then done deal or did it go smoothly yeah look i mean we got uh um yeah look it's, the transaction was smooth there's no issues with the transaction there was, there was a lot of there was a lot of kerfuffle about the price we sold for it was it was a lot less than it was it was all cash i, I will state up front and it was a lot less than a lot of the script deals were going for um, at the time, probably about a quarter to some of the script deals, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But the script deals were also escrowed for two and three years, which um, when we did the first of the deal, we had you didn't get the capital, you didn't get the relief with respect to the rollover relief. So you had to actually pay capital gains on the script, even though it was escrowed. Oh. So that was a massive problem. By the time we did the second tranche, that wasn't an issue, but the first tranche definitely. So to me... Script was never an option, therefore the price was always less because people had less cash, right? Yeah. So, um, but you know, 18 months later after the deal, there was very few people saying, oh, I've got a bad price because everyone who took script were left with like, you know, one cent in the dollar. Yeah. yeah so, um, and, and I feel sorry for them, but it was just, you know, to me at the time, I, I couldn't understand how you could make script work. With the with the with the with the arrangements for taxation in Australia. Okay. Well, I won't ask you exactly what you sold it for, but I'm assuming you were set. Well, I won't say set for life, but you were pretty set at that point after selling out. Um, was it a case of I want to go on a holiday now, or let's jump into a new business? So look, so I that 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 um, on on discharging from the from the armed services and working in that business and selling it, I would have I would have averaged six and a half days a week. And the full days were probably close to 14-hour days. So at that point, I'd had an absolute gut full of it. Um, I'd, my, my, my fitness had deteriorated to the point that it was, was probably dangerous. So everything does come at a price. Um, potentially, I, I didn't manage the growth of that company with respect to my, my personally as well as I could have. Um, so I was very happy to move back to Queensland and do some fishing, which I did. <laughs> Bought a boat and had a, had a good time doing some fishing. How long? So, oh, yeah. Uh, so we came back in, in late 2000. and Well, we came back in late 2000, and by late 2001, we'd already started Pipe. So you, you could tell that I, I got pretty bored of it pretty yeah. fast. So you got less than a year, and you wanted to get back into running a business. Yeah. Yeah, there, 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 there is that. I mean, I was still just turned 30, you know, so you know, I was still pretty keen. Um, so, um, yeah, so we started... Uh, uh, well, Pipe officially was registered as a company in November 2001, and we really opened the doors in May 2002. Um, once we'd sort of acquired the premises and, and built the little bit of infrastructure we needed to kick it off. Okay, so Pipe is what was the I guess the starting vision for it? So Pipe started out. Uh, it was called cool. so Pipe actually stands stood for um, Public IP Peering Exchange. So it was all about a way to get um, internet service providers and telcos uh, interconnecting more rationally than they than they were at the time and probably still are. So, um, in while I was with uh, my company in Adelaide, was called ACNet. Um, I uh, co-founded something called the South Australian Internet Exchange, which was a, a, an internet exchange that got basically competitors working together. Because at the time we were paying, God, we were paying like sixty thousand. The equivalent rates of like, I think it came down to by the time I left, it had come down to about sixteen thousand dollars a megabit per second per month, down from effectively sixty, but based on a on a per gig model or a per mig model. So, 
you know, if we could interchange traffic locally and not pay Telstra that massive amount of money for the privilege, then that was a good idea. So it's been a lot of time getting getting my competitors to cooperate. Um, and, and so that was pretty well the business model of Pipe, to, to do that arbitrage arrangement in the middle. Um, you must have been so entrenched in the so the telecommunications and the ISP market of Australia to, to even think that you could jump in and get a bunch of large companies to start talking together in that way. Well, I don't think we ever had eyes on large companies. So, and obviously the, the, the business partner at that time was, was Bevan Slattery. So, um, and he was the, the, the guy who came to me with that idea, knowing that, that I'd done what I'd done with um, um, with Sakes. Um, I wasn't, at the time he came to me, it was probably about March, April 2001. And I wasn't, I wasn't at that stage and nowhere near ready to get back into business. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but I, I gave him a hand on, on some, doing effectively some, just some freebie consulting because it sounded like a bit of fun to, to sort of pitch it towards various sort of venture capitalists and whatever. And um, not a good time to do it. Mid-2001, the world was falling off the plate when it came to dot-com. Mm. So, uh, uh, so in sort of September, October um, 2001, we said, you know, bugger this, let's, let's, we threw 70,000 bucks each into the hat and we went off and uh, started pipe. We changed the business plan radically because it was in it, the form that was being proposed to VCs. It was never going to work. Not that we told the VCs that, but um, uh, it, it was. It would never would have worked. It was. It would have been. It would have been dead in the water day one. So we we changed the business plan. Not greatly, but enough. Um, in that we we weren't going to interconnect capital cities with with fiber optic with um with with bandwidth and this sort of thing. So um, that was what really actually it was a prerequisite for it to be to to work. To tell me what actually did work for Pipe, especially early days. You know, maybe that that point where you said, "Okay, we actually have a going concern here, and it's it's doing something that that makes it profitable." Um, well, what, what did actually work? So, look, so the initial Pipe Networks business model was was very simple. It was uh, finding uh, certain buildings in in each of the mainland cities of high telco and ISP concentration, and there was typically two or three in each city. It was putting uh, an Ethernet switch and putting infrastructure, which is essentially an Ethernet switch, into each of those buildings, interconnecting those buildings in the city. So each city was an island, but you had typically had high bandwidth between these buildings and, and getting carriers and ISPs to interconnect with that. And there was the, the, the real secret source, and uh, I think a lot of people don't quite realise, was the actual arrangement, the actual contract that everyone by default signed onto with each other. Um, without realising it, they, they signed on to, to pipe, but we all we we applied the same rules across the entire across the entire customer base. So it was a set of rules that 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 um, dictated how they were going to interchange, uh, interconnect, and interchange traffic. And we had um, we set up a little bit of infrastructure to arbiter the, the the routing between them to make sure that that there was no routing mistakes that sort of brought everything crashing down. A little bit of software that I initially wrote called PipeDB, which Thank God someone took off my hands later on and, and made fast and secure because I'm, I'm really good at rapid prototyping stuff, but you, you don't want to look at my code with a security hat on. It's terrible. <laughs> so um, um, so we, you know, we started with Brisbane and then went to sort of, uh, sort of Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, Hobart, believe it or not, eventually Perth. Um, our, it was such an inexpensive infrastructure to maintain. We can say to customers who had a high resistance to connecting, we could just say, look, just plug in for a month and try it. We don't need to prove this to you. You just plug in, give it, give it a go, and no one, no, no one ever unplugged. To clarify for those of us who are maybe not quite grasping the technicalities here, what you're basically doing is making 
the the local networks work together to speed it up and make it more cost effective basically get rid of the latency in the network is that kind of yeah, a so, lane? so 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 you you imagine a world where you have three ISPs for example and each one of those connect to Telstra or mm-hmm. connect to one single incumbent carrier for their internet access uh, any traffic that's exchanged between them has to go up to Telstra and then back down to 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 their competitor Whereas if we become an arbiter to the middle where each one of those connect to us uh, for a fixed fee, not a usage-based fee, then um, you can send your traffic and the routing algorithms pick the cheapest and best path effectively, mm-hmm. um, bypass Telstra, and you interchange traffic without sending it through the expensive and also you typically highly latent path um, through the carrier. Okay, so you provide the intelligence behind that working. Oh yeah, intelligence was easy. Well, the more what it was, we we were the neutral party. Right. We we did not have an ISP business. We did not compete with, and this is such an important aspect to it. We did not compete with our customers. That that is the single most important thing that any intermediary can do. Right. So, and that was hard not to do at times because there was opportunity coming left, right, centre, and to sort of stick to your knitting and say, we're not going to compete with our customers. So, in doing that though, we we got into the fibre space. So I mentioned we had these buildings in each city, and we connected them. Initially, we connected them with with, with managed Ethernet from certain carriers. Very quickly, we realised this wasn't going to scale. We always knew it wasn't going to scale. It was just what was available at the time. Um, and then so we started deploying our own fibre optic, our own dark fibre between these buildings. Um, that introduced a little bit of competition with some of our customers, but no one really did dark fibre. Everyone built fibre and, and sold a managed service. We 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 sold we sold a lease to the you know a lease to the farm to people. We really mm-hmm. did. So uh, I feel like the United Nations of ISPs. Right? <laughs> connecting not, the countries yeah. together and making sure they trust you but not each other. <laughs> that's not a bad. That's not a bad description for it, to be honest. Yeah. It, it does make you sound very altruistic as well. <laughs> oh no, there was plenty, plenty of profit involved. Don't worry about that. <laughs> so, uh, how does this become a company that you can sell for three hundred seventy million dollars? So, um, in sort of oh four, uh, oh, oh, probably early oh four, I suppose we realised that hey, this is going really well. We were we were rolling you know, considerable amounts of fibre. I say considerable. We probably had sort of 10, 15 kilometres in the ground at that time. But it was fibre optic. You can probably only make more money than fibre by selling drugs. <laughs> it, it is got just a fantastically high margin. Once you, so what we used to do is we used to go and convince a customer who wanted you know high speed capacity between two points. We used to go out to them and actually say, right, it's going to cost us. And we'd get a quote. It would cost us, let's say, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 to build fibre between point A and point B. We'd go to the customer and say, look, here it is. It's going to cost you fifty dollars or $60,000 to build this. And we're going to rent it to you after that for $2,000 per month. We'd, Believe it or not, this was fantastic economics at the time. The Telstra's and the Optus's of the world were, were trying to charge 16000 a month for the same service. Mm-hmm. We also set up. So we had a, we had a, we had a market. So we'd have our build cost covered. We'd install like a 144-core cable of fibre. We'd, for $2,000 a month, we'd sell the customers two cores or rent the, custom, rent the customers two cores per month. So we had 142 left over to sell to other people. So every second customer we got was, was probably an 80 90% gross, gross margin. Wow. And, and gives you so much space to get more customers without having the – it's a one-off infrastructure cost, but you can keep selling. Yeah, exactly right. But we, we did have some problems and there was some certain sort of core runs and core rings that we wanted to build 
to, to allow us to access more customers. And you know, if it's only a 50, 60, that's, it, that's quite easy. If it's 150,000, you, you have to find a different class of customer. That might be a, a good deal for them, but they, they still have trouble finding 150,000 bucks once up in their budget, um, despite how much it might save them over 12 or 24 months. So we needed to raise capital. Um, we actually looked at selling the peering business to a competitor. And we got fair way down the track with that until they sort of pulled a swifty on us at the last moment, just ignored ignored our floor price and just thought we were joking about it. Um, so out of that, we, we needed to raise capital, so we we, we explored listing. Um, and we always ran a highly structured company. We're very, um, I suppose, you know, a quality company from the respects of quality procedures internally. So, you know, we, we had a high... A high degree of certainty of, of contracts, we have a high degree of certainty of the, the regulatory stance of the company. That made listing actually really, really quite a uh, not an easy process, but I wouldn't call it a chaotic process. It was it was measured, it was controlled, and um, so therefore we pursued the listing path. And that went successfully. I think you had a was it a fourteen million dollar capitalization? Is what I saw somewhere in some research I did. Yeah, yes, yeah, 40 milk. I'm pretty sure it was three and a half. I've got my old CFO from Pipe sitting right beside me here, actually. I think it was three and a half million we raised, Malcolm. Yeah, three and a half million. He's, he's nodding. That's great. <laughs> um, three and a half million dollars. So I think, you know, post market cap post list was, was um, 14 mil, um, 40 cents a share. We, we The proceeds of that were to, to build out more fibre and uh, in Brisbane and Melbourne and a little bit in Sydney, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, we, uh, yeah, so we didn't really look back from there. We, we, we geared up quite substantially. Once again, huge fan of, of repeatable quality systems. So the, probably the biggest thing we did in the fibre space was understand where our fibre was installed, which, which might sound like it's a, well, duh, don't you do that anyway? But the number of businesses out there who didn't do it and still don't do it. So when they install a piece of fibre in the ground, the institutional knowledge of where that actually is, what manhole you have to lift up to get access to it, and because there's 144, or you know, on, on the bigger accounts of cable, there's a thousand fibres in a cable. You have to know exactly which ones to pick out and cut to bring the new customer on. Because if you cut the wrong ones, then you've actually taken down another customer. So losing access to that information, and more important, the, the ability to efficiently access, reaccess, move and change that information was so important, and what allowed us to actually that was our that was our pivot point to take us forward to um, you know just a really really nice fiber business. And I can imagine you know this is not you anymore digging a trench in your front lawn. <laughs> You're, you've got a team of engineers, well, or not just engineers, but people who are out there doing physical infrastructure installation. So it's a totally different business to an ISP in some regard, then, right? Or small time ISP versus, I guess, someone who owns their network. Well, 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 yeah. So we never actually had people who built network for us. We always contracted that. Right. So um, we typically had two or three contractors in every city we operated in. To keep them honest, um, we had very, very good project managers and a very good project management team and a very good geospatial information team who basically built the network that the sales team wanted us to build. Um, so it was very much a project management task more than a construction task. You know, it sounds like a huge company again, Steve, and I'd love to dive more into it, but you've got like five minutes left here. So I'll, 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 give, you, I'll give you 10, mate. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, I'm, it sounds like, though, you got yourself into a situation where you have a big business with lots of employees. Uh, were you stressed out again, and, and that, is that what led to the sale? 
No, no. So look, I um I left Pipe as a full time executive in uh, early two thousand and eight. I think they've I'm supposed to have left in mid two thousand and eight, but I, I I didn't turn up much after February. Um, so you went to Google, didn't you? If I read right. Yeah. So look, there's only one job left in the company for me to get, and that was CEO. And 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 my business partner Bevan wasn't a, wasn't about to let that go. And he would probably you know on, on the balance he was probably a better CEO than I could have been. Not that I would have been a bad one. He just would have been a better one, uh, or was a better one, I suppose. So, um, and, you know, a little bit bored um, and uh, always had a desire, as I mentioned before, I always really enjoyed Silicon Valley. So I sort of, you know, explored working over there. I, I was sitting on a Google recruiting email from probably four years previous that I'd never bothered to respond to. And I thought, oh, well, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Hit reply, the person still worked there and um, had an interview and they, uh, they got me over working in Mountain View with uh, Google and in the Valley. Doing what? So I was a technical program manager building high-speed networks between their secret data centers. Um, so Google had acquired vast quantities, has acquired, it's quite open in the press, vast quantities of, of, of fiber optic cable uh, across the country. And my job was to, to build out the, the infrastructure that sat on top of that to provide, you know, terabits. They call them terabits because they're terrifyingly large. Um, terabit links between their data centers. Your reputation for being good at cable, laying cable, or at least controlling that, must that's, that's what qualified you for this? Um, yeah, well, that's, I think that's what attracted me to it. Um, uh, very much attracted me to it. Um, or attracted them to me, excuse me. Um, so different environment you know I went from working in a, in, a, in a small company to working in a, in a dreadfully large silicon valley based company that that really doesn't have productivity at its, at its as its main driving force so i found that adjustment quite difficult how long did you last um a year one year one day mm-hmm. um nothing too special to that to the actual one year one day it was just how it panned out in the end um so I really had to return or I had to leave California in the end because we received the offer to um, for the takeover of Pipe. If I'd stayed in California, I would have exposed myself to a substantial Californian capital gains tax. Mm. And so I really had to get the hell out of Dodge. Um, I was ready to leave Google. I'd have had enough. Uh, the project I was on changed uh, due to various issues that, that we sort of changed tact on what I was doing at Google. We, I had to fundamentally change a few things, how they managed information internally and on their fiber side, more on the geospatial stuff again. Uh, and I'd, I'd, I'd gotten a fair bit, I think, achieved in that respect. But I, I also did not have the political skills required to maneuver an organization of 35, 40,000 people. Um, I was a little too blunt for that. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't suffer fools gladly, so I really had to get out of there. Okay, so you, you get a call back. Uh, I'm assuming the the offer and and the negotiation process was happening in Australia while you're in in America f- during that time. Yeah, look, very much so. So I was still a non-exec director, still on the board, still attended board meetings, or be them virtually, um, or you know, tele- you know via telephone. Um, so. Yeah, so that was going through TPG, made an offer for Pipe Networks, I want to say officially in November, might have been October um, 2009, um, under scheme of arrangement, which is quite a a lengthy court-based process. Um, That closed in um, April 2010. And you walked away, I'm assuming, an even more wealthy man than the first sale of your business. So was it time to get back on a boat? (laughs) <laughs> bought another boat. <laughs> okay. Um, 
Look, look, we love the US as well. So while I was over there, I, I got my pilot's license. So um, private pilot, and I came back to Australia and converted that to an Australian pilot's license because for some reason the air over here is more rarefied than in the US and we have extra laws for okay. flying aircraft. Um, so I've got a couple of planes as well. Flying is one of my hobbies. Um, I quite enjoy that. I do a little bit of uh, charity flying for people like Angel Flight as well. Uh-huh. So, um, uh, so I've done a fair bit of fishing. Um, I've, I've uh, ended up buying a, a lovely place up in the uh, Wood Sundays, actually on Shoot Harbour Airfield. So we, we fly up, land uh, land at Shoot Harbour, which is quite near, just near Early Beach, and then um, park the plane under the house on the airfield. And, <laughs> awesome. Sort of, which is, um, which is quite nice, yeah. So, last three minutes, Steve, what your current projects are obviously, you know... River City Labs. Yes, so, so uh, tell us about that. That's how I actually first found out about you. <laughs> so. Alrighty, so it's a uh, early stage and startup co-working space for mobile and internet companies. So, we, we like to sort of say that, you know, you can come and grab some desk space here. Um, you know, if your business needs an IP address, you're in. You know, if your business can also have an IP address, we don't care so much about you. So we're really about providing a, a place that's inexpensive for people to test ideas. Some some people call it inexpensive to fail. Um, probably true, but you know, get out there, try your crazy idea. We'll charge you 350 bucks XGST a month for a desk that comes with internet, access to all the shared resources. So it's um, it's real estate effectively. We have mentors, and as you know, Yara, you've been to our events. We have we have events that we try and bring the community together. The whole thing, and this is a not-for-profit venture that I funded with an interest-free loan. Um, sort of call it interest-free loan because that way my wife thinks I might get it back one day, which I doubt I, I, doubt I will. <laughs> but um, so, you know, it's it's about me trying to do my little part to bring this community, this early-stage mobile, this early-stage and startup community together, put a physical anchor in the sand, put a place that, you know, we can we can house this community and have it congeal around it. So that's rivercitylabs.net for those interested. It, it is a Brisbane-based location, obviously, so it's, it, is, it is for it's in, our, it's in the valley. It's in the valley, so it is for just, our Australian just, entrepreneurs listening in. And, and I think for just me... Not, just not Silicon Valley, more like Heroin Valley. Yeah, well, I like, I like the Silicon Beach uh, <laughs> label we're getting more than anything, I think. Um, not that we're on the beach, but we do have South Bank. Um, and it, I think the biggest point, I think, with co-working spaces is also the social aspect. Uh, that's what was certainly missing during my early years of starting uh, what I did. Very not social. Underwear on in a computer next to my bed. <laughs> depressing. So, you know, the social part, I think, is definitely worth highlighting of a, a place like River City Labs. And, and I think it's great that you started that in Brisbane. We don't really have, or well, we didn't have a lot of support for entrepreneurs. It seems to be ballooning this year. Uh, but River City Labs is certainly, uh, you know, paving the path. So that's that's fantastic, Steve. Um, before I let you go, just one question. Uh, yep. for, for those people listening into this, you're probably one of the only interviewees I can really ask. If you want to go big, like, you know, these multi-million dollar companies, um, and there's pros and cons to going that large, but some people out there really, really want to. Is there something, one tip you can give that, you know, makes the difference to get that big? Hmm. If you want to go big, you want one tip. Yeah, because you only have two minutes, so. All right. Understand what it costs and sell it for more. <laughs> I cannot overemphasize that enough. Of things. that many people who lose money gleefully, I don't understand that. Just don't. Okay. Simple one. So, Simple one. That's it. <laughs> I was expecting, you know, think big, don't think small, or something along those lines, but no, we can work with that. Um, 
Thanks, Steve. Uh, no worries at all. Thanks, Yara. RiverCityLabs.net for everyone listening in. And uh, thanks for doing the call. And, of course, for everyone who wants to grab this interview and all other interviews with me, just Google my name, Y-A-R-O, or head to entrepreneurs-journey.com, and you can download all the other podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and I'll talk to you very soon.